0: G'day, guys, and welcome to yet another episode of the Coach Mark Carroll Podcast. So I think this is an exciting episode for a lot of you out there. It is five glute training mistakes that are really ruining your booty gains. So if you've been following me for a while, you know I love glute training. You know, I work with a lot of elite women. I've trained women of all levels to you know, from the highest of the high levels, bikini world champions and Australian champions in different um, categories, whether um, bikini or figure, which is the highest kind of muscular level, but then also I've literally trained, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of women now of all abilities. And one of the most common things they come to me for is glutes. So with glutes, there are so many things out there there's so much information there's so much quality information out there which is amazing but there's also a lot of poor information there's a sometimes when there's too much too many voices too much knowledge out there it's quite harder hard to decipher what is real what is legit what is actually beneficial for you one of the big things i see is when you think of lack of results or not the progression you are necessarily after. People tend to think that it means they're not trading hard. They're not trying. It's a lack of effort. Whereas what I see a lot of the time is it is not not being a lack of effort. People are trading hard, often going to the gym every single day for hours and hours and hours. The issue commonly I see is not combining that amazing effort with the necessary knowledge to get the great results. So sure, you're, you're going to see some people out there who genetically are just so blessed and they could literally look at a booty band and grow elite Instagram level glutes. Unfortunately, 99% of us out there, we don't have that genetic ability. So we have to train hard, but we also have to train smart. So today I want to really chat about five of the most common mistakes I see from a coach who works with so many women of all levels. And these are mistakes I see from people who've just been early in their fitness journey and kind of got a little bit of misinformation or followed influence and stuff who maybe has led them kind of astray on what people actually do with their training, but then also mistakes I truly see at a really high level so I get so many women who come to me and they want to train and they want to be a bikini pro or someone who's placed top 10 in the world and they kind of want me to help problem solve why their glutes are not growing and they hire me to just for a consult and they send me their programs and look at kind of where they're going wrong so with that guys let's go over five really most common glute mistakes I see I Try to shorten this list because it it could be a pretty long list, guys, because there are are many mistakes people make. We all make mistakes, but there's quite a number of, I guess, key little things. So I want to really just focus on today five so it's not a a 10-hour long podcast. So here we go. So number one, the number one mistake, not the number one. Mistake that's the be all end all, but just number one today. So, the first mistake I see impacting people's glute gains is just thinking that great glutes means only hip thrusts. And this is an issue I see is that you see the hip thrust everywhere. And I love the hip thrust. So, Brett Contreras, who's a mentor and a friend, and I absolutely love Brett. And he's done an absolute tremendous job of inventing the hip thrust and really just creating an environment where women just love an exercise and want to get to the gym. And it's amazing. You know, you used to see the term a thrust, the thrust is a must. And it's something that I I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of hip thrust, but this is where people kind of get a bit, a bit too narrow focus. So the hip thrust is a fantastic exercise. It's probably my favorite exercise for training on glutes. But, big but, it's not the only exercise for training in the glutes. And even um, Brett Contreras, who you know invented the hip thrust, You don't see him just doing hip thrusts with his clients. They do lunges, they do squats, they do split squats, they do hip extensions, you name it, go on and on and on. So Brett, myself, many other people who train women to build amazing glutes, do we hip thrust? Yes. Do we only hip thrust? No. And this is one of the things I see too commonly is that you get to a stage where they're just thrusting and thrusting and thrusting and doing... I've seen some programs and people... (laughs) Some coaches out there and they've literally put in I think 10 sets of hip thrusts on a a workout like two three days a week number one there's a the research shows guys that there's a diminishing return of working sets on an exercise so it depends on the movement and the exercise but after about five six sets we have what we call diminishing returns where it's not really offering any more value that volume so just doing 10 sets of hip thrust probably not needed so you'd be better off dispersing that 10 sets of glutes over multiple exercises. So you might have three sets of hip thrusts, three sets of lunges, two sets of um, a leg press, two sets of a banded kickback, something like that. Building great glutes, it's important to understand that the glute muscle, the big glute max muscle, it has basically in simple terms, two divisions. So we have the upper division and then the lower glute max division. So different exercises will actually help to bias different divisions of the glutes. The hip thrust, it's going to primarily, primarily train to a, a greater degree the upper portion of the glute max. It's still going to get lower, lower glute max, but it's more heavily biased towards upper glute max. So what does this mean? It means that if to to build glutes that are uh, um, have that size in the lower division the upper division um, the um, the glute medius glute minimus etc we want to choose a number of movements we don't need it just to just be one dimensional and there's just one exercise we are only doing when it comes to hypertrophy adaptations it's always really important to understand that there is no one exercise you must do for hypertrophy where it's squats bench press deadlift hip thrust you can get results with so many different exercises and lots of different exercises do a little bit different things when you're training um, your body. So big tip guys, number one is don't just see hip thrust as the only exercise for glutes. I just see people just doing endless sets of hip thrusts and they barely do any other sets of lunges, squats, you name it. Too much work on just that one movement, not challenging the rest of the glutes enough. So that's number one. Now, number two. Endless band work and not enough actual resistance training through dumbbells, barbells, cables, machines. So again, just endless band work. Now, this is not saying you shouldn't use bands. It's not saying that at all. What it's saying is that you shouldn't be throwing a band on every single exercise you do in your workout. That's not going to make it more glutes. Most likely, it's actually going to... Neg- negatively impact the majority of your exercises where the band is not appropriate. When you're using a band on an exercise, which it's not really adding value, you're not only not gaining anything from using the band on that exercise, you're actually also decreasing the performance and the output of the glutes on that exercise. So you're actually not only, only not getting anything from the band, you're also taking away your performance of that exercise. So something you see all the time these days is, oh, I'll take that back. Not all the time and not these days, but something you see a lot and it's been geez, seven, eight, 10 years now is you know endless kind of circuit classes with just bands on the entire time um, for 45 minutes and entire working sets of A, B, C, D, E exercise in a workout with a band on. And that's not how you want to use a band. So a band can be a cool tool to add as a as a sense of like a teaching teaching method. For example, if your knees are caving in on a squat or a hip thrust or something like that, using a band to help teach you to drive your knees out can be a great tool. Or using a band on a thrust or something as just a variation can be a tool as well for to mix things up over time. Or my preferred method to use bands is kind of like a, for, for more like straight leg work, kickbacks, abductions, um, 30 degree abductions, 90 degree abductions, etc. Big thing though is I'm not using band on every exercise. I'm not having someone band their squat, then band the hip thrust, then band their leg press, then band their lunge, and then do 30 reps of banded abductions. And that's the big thing I see, guys. A band is of all the tools I would choose, if I have a dumbbell, barbell, cables, machines and bands if I have all five of those different resistances the band would be my last one I would use doesn't mean you can't use it doesn't mean it's not going to be effective at times it just means that's kind of my order of importance so when you're looking at your training if all your work is done with a band on that's most likely taking away from your performance and your output on those other exercises so use bands yes they can be a great tool and add variety to your training just don't use a band on every exercise. It's not making it more glute. It might feel like a burn, but it's actually over time going to probably impact neg- negatively your performance when you just throw a band on everything. Now, let's continue kind of that theme. And that's, again, on around band work. And that's something where I see... A little bit too much, I think, where people definitely want to build great glutes, but they think that great glutes, they have to be doing something seven days a week for their glutes. So the problem or mistake I see number three is thinking that on their non-weights days, they have to do banded work every day. And they're training their glutes seven days a week. So often you'll see, I like frequency with training. So I like my clients training glutes around two to three times a week. But these sessions are intense. There's a lot of volume going into it. So when they train the glutes on those days, on those non-resistance training days, what do I ideally want them to do? Rest and recover from their glutes. So I don't want to just be hammering the glutes seven days a week over and over again. This is something you see all the time. You wanting to build great glutes does not mean you also have to do them every single day. That's really, really important. So often you see um, people do their weights three, four days a week for their glutes. And then on their rest days, kind of not really a rest day, then they're doing 20, 30 minute banded circuits as well. So they're doing 30, 40 sets of weights for their glutes throughout the week and then on their non weights days, they're doing three, four days of banded circuits and stuff like that. And it's just no wonder you're not growing your glutes. You're just giving them no chance to actually grow because you're just beating them into the ground. This is really important. So if I'm training males, if I'm trying, trying to grow their chest, if I'm trying to grow their arms, I'm trying to grow their back, they're not doing more training than they need. They're doing the appropriate amount. And then on the other days, they're not training those muscles. They still build and build and build. We train them hard on the days they need to train. And then those non-days, they're training other muscles. Whereas a lot of times you see with glute training too much, it's, right, I'll train my glutes four or five days a week in the gym. And then my non-weights days, let's keep training my glutes and do this time more band work. Even though I also did band work in my weight sessions. So big advice here is... Rest and recovery is a big component of hypertrophy adaptations. To perform at a higher level, you do need to recover. So you push your sessions hard to get stronger in the gym, all these things. Yes, we want to work hard, but you also need to back off at times. So you push that session hard, have a couple of days off, push that session hard, have a couple of days off. And when I say a couple of days off, this is in reference to training your glutes. Obviously, you can do um, lower body day and then you might do an upper body day and then you do another lower body day, upper day, a rest and a lower body day, something like that. It's not weights, weights, weights on the lower body. Then my rest day is 25 minute circuit of the band on my non weights days Then I come back. And that's one of the reasons why you see, I think people not get the results. And this is a real, real, real example of people have such amazing intent. They want it so bad, but sometimes doing too much of something is never often the answer. So the dosage kind of is, is, is a real key thing. So often, you know, you talk about with nutrition, people talk about, oh, this is bad for you. And what's, and this is bad for you. And this is bad for you. But it's generally the dosage makes the poison. So just, just like with training, doing training is a good thing but doing too much work can also be a big negative. So it's trying to find a balance and a fine line. So I want you to work hard. I want you to grow your glutes, but it doesn't mean you have to train them seven days a week, which is what I'm seeing a lot of the times with people who come to me. Now, number four, I'm just gonna have a sip of my monster. Number four, and this is something that that. If there was one one thing I see more than ever holding people back from really building their glutes and it's this mistake. So the fourth mistake, it is living on low calories, aka not getting out of a calorie deficit. So I could go on and on and on about this. Calories are your friend. Despite what you commonly hear, you know, you're so especially as women, you're so kind of drilled into this mindset through the world, the media and whatnot, and social media, especially it's just that you just need to be as small as possible, as thin as possible. And calories are bad. Everything is about how little can we eat? Um, every food is a, you know, for fat loss. What dieting foods can we have? What foods can we do use to get as little calories in things like that? It's just really drilled into you that, all right, to be, I need to be as thin as possible as small as possible and eat as little calories as possible. And unfortunately, obviously there's actually a lot of issues with all of that from a psychological standpoint, a physiological standpoint, but in back to reference to the glutes to build muscle, to build your biceps, your triceps, your quads, but obviously here to build glutes, we want to be optimizing that process by partnering that goal with the sufficient calorie intake to achieve that. So calories are crucial to performance. Calories are crucial to fat loss. Yes, you want to be in a calorie deficit to lose body fat. Sure all know that by now if you've been following me. But to optimize the process of muscle building hypertrophy, we want to be in a surplus of calories. We want to be eating enough, so we're in what we call a positive energy balance. Positive energy balance means that we're going to be not in a catabolic state. So when we talk fat loss, we create a calorie deficit. So that calorie deficit, what we're doing, we're creating in our body a catabolic environment. So a catabolic environment means we can be um, catabolic in fat But we can also be catabolic in muscle, which is why you see people when they diet, they sometimes lose muscle mass. They're not just losing fat mass. You can sometimes lose muscle mass. And obviously you can do things like resistance training and prior protein to preserve muscle mass. But just think of that. We've got catabolic, which means like losing and then anabolic, which means building. So if we're trying to build glutes, do we want to be in a catabolic environment through a calorie deficit Or do we want to create an anabolic environment in our body? So that anabolic environment is going to be when we're having a surplus of calories. And it's going to be in a position where, yes, again, you can be anabolic as in a standpoint of you can put more body fat on in a surplus, but you can also optimize by being in the anabolic environment, optimize the potential of muscle building. So this is really important and... It sounds really easy. It's like, okay, cool. Calorie deficit, lose body fat, but then eat more, be in a calorie surplus, build muscle. Simple. But the big issue is that a calorie surplus doesn't feel that glamorous when you're in it. It's nice to feel really lean. It's nice to have abs. It's nice to be photo shoot lean. It's nice to lose weight and get bikini photos and have people tell you how amazing you look and all that stuff. It really feeds you know, your self-esteem and your ego and stuff like that. But when you're staying lean, it's not going to actually allow you to really meaningful, meaningfully change your um, body composition. You can stay lean, but the lower your calories go, basically the, the less and less and less the potential for you to add muscle mass. Can you put muscle on in a calorie deficit? Yes, at times, And most of the time people listen to this are not going to be those people. So the times you can put muscle on in a calorie deficit are going to be when you're a beginner or when you have higher fat mass or when you're on things like anabolic steroids, things like that. But if you're listening to me, I know majority of you are going to be training for a while. You're um, definitely not on steroids, things like that. And you're most likely not have had time off the gym or have been injured or something like that so you're going to be training hard but what this means is is that to optimize your goal of building muscle you need to support that goal with nutrition and this is the biggest thing i think holding people back is that when they want to build muscle it means they're going to be eating more eating more sounds fun until you start to put a little bit more um, water weight on. You feel a bit more bloated initially because you're eating more calories, you're eating more carbohydrates, things like that. And then you slowly put a little bit more body fat on. And so then you start to not feel as defined and you don't feel as confident in your bikini or in your Instagram photos and whatnot. You start to fill out areas of your clothes, but not exactly where you always want to. And then the big issue is, is that muscle building is a very slow process. Too often go, you go, all oh, right, I'm going to do a surplus. And then after four to six weeks, you think, oh, shit, I put on two, three kilos. I feel terrible about myself. I'm going to rush back to a calorie deficit. I can't do this. I feel, I feel, I feel gross. I, I feel yuck. I feel, I feel all these negative things. And so therefore, I'm going to run back to a calorie deficit, which is my comfort zone, low calories. And the problem with that is that you're not actually giving yourself the time needed to build muscle to actually lay the foundations of building muscle, like meaningful muscle, which is you're really going to notice in the future. It's going to take months. And that is hard to have people kind of get their head around. Fat loss, you can do really, really meaningful things with fat loss in six to eight weeks. But muscle building is going to be months. So when I work with clients, I'm trying to think, all right, I don't want eight weeks with you in a build. I ideally want six months in a build six months, seven months, eight months, the longer, the better within reason to allow us to actually spend time in a calorie surplus to build muscle. So what does this mean? It means that you're going to put on some body fat, some body fat. It means the scale is going to go up, but you're also going to be doing things that your future self will thank you for. So if you give yourself enough time in a surplus, it then means that when you do want to diet back down, you've actually made noticeable gains. So My big tip is, well, my big mistake is living on low calories and not getting out of a surplus. And then by getting out of a surplus, I really want to drill in that you need to spend meaningful time there. Not a few weeks, not five weeks, not six weeks, but months. Ideally aim for minimum 12 weeks, but ideally six to seven months in a surplus. That is where you're going to make noticeable gains. All right. So four down, five to go. Sorry, one to go to finish our five. All right, so I was, I was trying to go over a few different options here. It, I said my list, my list of kind of mistakes was quite long. So I was trying to think of something that would really, really resemble with a lot of you. And that is going to be something I see re- so, so, so often. And that is... The final mistake, it is confusing cardio with weights. All right, so I'm sure a lot of you will understand this, but I still, I know a lot of you won't quite grasp this yet. And so I want to really just drill it in. Cardio, cardio is not something that's going to build your muscle, okay? So building great glutes, you often see people say, oh, well, Athletes have glutes and they go, well, look at this sprinter. She's got really big glutes and she just, she, she runs. Or they'll say, um, you know, this, this football player has big glutes and he just plays football and all these kind of things. Or then you also see um, this influencer. She has really big glutes and she says it's from the stepper and she does the stepper and it stepper gets your glutes. The issue with that is, well, a, it's not correct. And B, it's not really understanding what leads to hypertrophy adaptations. So when it comes to building muscle, whether it's your glutes, your back, your chest, your biceps, etc., we need a few key things for building muscle and all of which cardio is not going to provide. So the first thing we're going to need is basically adequate resistance. So we have very, very good research showing that We can, yes, build muscle in a variety of rep ranges. So you often see people say, well, you can build muscle on low reps, moderate reps, and high reps, but high reps does have a cap. So when we're talking about how you can build muscle on higher reps, it doesn't mean you can build muscle on 200 reps. The cap around seems to be around about 30% of your one rep max. So it's going to be close to around your 20, 20 to 30 reps, okay, on some exercises, But firstly, not all exercises are made to do 20 to 30 reps. So you wouldn't want to be doing 30 reps on a barbell squat. Your heart would just explode because that becomes almost cardio. And then again, there's many other ways to bring about fatigue or resistance you need without having to do so many reps. If you can do 15 reps, why do 30 reps? Basically, you need to think. But when it comes to adequate resistance, is doing a stepper for 20 minutes giving you resistance? That's within. 30% 30% of a one rep max. No, you're doing hundreds of reps. Is that providing you a resistance that's going to take you to failure within 20 reps? No, absolutely not. Then for high-pressure adaptations, we want things like stability. So stability is going to allow you have increased output by that muscle we're trying to train. This is why things like machines are actually really good for hypertrophy because... You're kind of locked in and you're just moving the weight. You've got that stability. So more stability allows you to focus on the muscle doing that. You running and stuff like that, running, um, doing the stepper, where you're stepping each um, step or doing things like jumping and stuff like that, it's not going to be a a great amount of stability. But obviously, again, we still don't have that adequate resistance. So then we also want um, tension throughout that movement of that muscle, the entirety of the rep. So a lot of people love using squat jumps. A squat jump, people go, well, you say squats are good for glutes. So a squat jump should be good for glutes. The issue is is that when you're doing a squat jump, there's very little actual time and tension in the muscle. There's very little tension in the muscle for majority of the rep. So let's say you jump you squat down and then jump up so when you're jumping up you're losing tension in the movement because you're obviously feet in the air so you're, when your feet are in the air nothing's being actually recruited in the standpoint of a resistance being applied to you you actually have no resistance the momentum has gotten you in the air but then when you land when you land you someone does a squat jump well they land And they land basically in straight into the bottom of the reps. They jump up and they land and their bum goes straight down the ground to then repeat the movement. What that means is when they lower in the squat, there is because they're jumping and they're landing and going straight into that squat, there's no basic eccentric portion of the rep. So eccentric is the lowering phase of a rep. We want tension through the eccentric and then also the concentric. The concentric is when we're doing the harder part of the rep, the actual lifting portion. So things like jumps and stuff like that, you don't have tension throughout the entirety of the movement. And that's also a key to training a muscle. Same um, with a lot of these movements with things like plyometrics. Does it mean you don't train the muscle? No, but it's just a different kind of stimulus to what we want for weights. Then the big one. So, I'm trying to keep this pretty pretty simple because I know a lot of you you know, aren't looking for crazy amounts of kind of detail and stuff like this, but I just kind of really want to touch on this in a really basic sense with this final point of confusing cardio with weights is that what we want, the key hypertrophy adaptation, the key thing to growth is going to be what we call mechanical tension. Mechanical tension is the key driver of hypertrophy adaptations. The with mechanical tension, this occurs in a working set when your the velocity, the speed that you're performing a rep begins to slow down. So you know on a squat, when you squat down and then drive up, you go up at a pretty pretty good pace. Then let's say you're doing eight reps. The first four or five, you just bounce up. And then your fifth rep, you drive up, gets a little bit more of a struggle. And then the sixth rep, you drive up and it's a little slower again. And then the seventh rep, you drive up and it's much slower. And then the eighth rep, you drive up and it's a real, real struggle. It might take you three to four seconds to get up. So those reps, when you're involuntarily slowing down on the driving up, so again, you're trying to drive up as fast as you can, but when you're involuntarily slowing down, you're not, you're, not, you're not choosing to not get up as fast. It's just your muscles are slowing down. When that velocity of the rep slows down, this is where me- mechanical tension is highest in a working set. So what we want is mechanical tension. So we want to be taking sets close to failure where you can't do any more reps. It doesn't mean you have to take t- total failure, but we want some of those reps where things slow down as touch. Now, when you're doing eight to 10 reps of a leg extension or a hip thrust or a leg curl, you'll notice those final reps, you start to slow down. Now you think, well, if I'm doing a stepper, is a stepper, am I, am I slowing down? No, you're doing it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes. So you're not slowing down, but again, you might slow down with fatigue, but often that fatigue is not just, um, localized to that muscle will be like systemic fatigue throughout the whole body. So because you're tired, your, your heart's being trained and stuff like that. So there's different types of fatigue. There's different types of um, reason you're slowing down. But again, remember, if you're slowing the rep speed down, it still needs to be within that 30% of your one rep max. So I hope that point hasn't kind of gone over too many people's heads. But the key component is, is that don't confuse cardio with weights just because you do the stepper. Just because you do lots of jumps and things like that, people you know do hundred rep box jumps and stuff and like, oh man, I feel my legs. Yes, you're gonna feel them from things like lactic acid accumulation, but it doesn't mean it's actually going to be the mechanisms behind hypertrophy adaptations. And then with that, again, to answer the question of well, why do why does I say a sprinter have really big legs? So um, big glutes. Well, in 2022, guys, sprinters. And athletes, they're not just running. I know a lot of sprinters and they women who squat 140 kilos, 120 kilos, 100 kilos, or guys who squat 180 kilo front squats. They're squatting, they're hip thrusting. Athletes these days are lifting really, really heavy weights. They're not just doing their sport-specific movements, they're training through resistance training to also build their physique. So final one is, guys, don't confuse cardio with weights. So let's kind of sum these up, these mistakes, really impacting your gains. So number one, just thinking that great glutes means you only have to hit thrust. Great glutes will be a collection of exercises. Hit thrusts are amazing, but they're not the only exercise you need to build great glutes. Number two, just endless band work and not enough focus on really trying to get strong on the the basic dumbbells, cables, um, barbell exercises. So bands are fine but just don't band every single exercise in your workout, okay? Don't band every movement over and over and over. Use a band at times, but not on every exercise. Then, number three, guys, it's not resting on actual rest days. So please don't train your glutes with so much volume in the gym for three to four days a week, and then do three kind of banded circuits for 20, 30 minutes on your non-weight stays. It's just too much to recover from, okay? So- Often the answer is not more. It's often sometimes regressing for some people. Number four, living on low calories, really trying to understand that muscle building is a slow process. It takes time, but it needs to coincide with actually supplying your body with the optimal amount of calories to support your goal. If your goal is build bigger muscle, muscles, bigger glutes, et cetera, Support that goal by optimizing the process by creating that anabolic environment in your body through higher calories. And then number five, guys, what we just covered was not confusing cardio with weight. So just because that movement will involve your glutes doesn't mean it's going to be weight. So just like a boxer is using their shoulders all the time. That's not what they're going to be using to build cap delts and things like that. Same thing with glutes. Running, step or, et etc, yes, your glutes will be involved, but it's not going to be adequate resistance It's not going to be um, optimal tension throughout the movement and then also mechanical tension, so I hope that kind of gives you. Uh, a really good rundown on some key mistakes, so yes, we obviously talk about mistakes, but what can we do to grow your glutes. Well, things like that, I cover in insane detail in my programs, Your Glute Coach Series, Your Glute Coach Part 1 and Part 2, my 12-week programs. And each of those programs have hours and hours of video education, stuff that would absolutely just blow you away. So if you want to really learn about building elite-level glutes, go invest into Your Glute Coach Series or my other... Big programs, the Building the Bikini Body series, where again, I have so much education and you can see the exact methods I use to help build elite world level kind of glutes. So don't make these mistakes, but also then by not making these mistakes, train intellig- intelligently. So go invest into my programs on coachmarkcarroll.com, the Your Glute Coach series, part one and part two, and then also the Building the Bikini Body series, part one to part four. Fadda. Thousands, I've had, had over 100,000 programs now people invested in. So these can really help you just take your training, your understanding of nutrition and everything in between to a new level. So thanks guys. I hope you enjoyed um, this episode. Um, I really think that it will, if you can uh, understand these things, you're gonna be on your way to building great glutes. Thanks as always guys.